We are about to discuss male and female body parts, as they relate to ways the humans have tried to enjoy them together without making babies, or spreading certain kinds of infections. Naturally, this will involve the use of some mature vocabulary, and at times, reference to certain adult, nighttime, activities. We do not feel that this week's adventure is overly graphic, but if any of it, will spark a conversation with little ears, that you are not ready to have, consider putting on a pair of earmuffs, or playing very loud music during the rest of this episode. We're pregnant. Bro, do you even live? I can't eat another One bite. One is usually bigger than the other. It tastes awful. It hurt a Wait, bit. why is it leaking? Did you Whoa, hear that? That, that was not awful. there yesterday. Have a second of it's it's totally my natural hair color. Is that supposed to look like that? Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't Deadly. I'm Terrell. And I'm Iris. Welcome to Health Science for the Rest of Us, a podcast where we take a super practical look at the body its shenanigans, and the world of fascinating ways we try and keep it healthy. This definitely won't replace a trip to your doctor's office, but it may help you make heads or tails of how to live in your body better. More important than that, this podcast will help you look like a total badass at your next Facebook debate. You did it again. We can edit that later. Let's Let's do do this. this. If you are old enough, you may remember when the HIV-AIDS epidemic began sweeping the U.S. in the early 1980s. For better or worse, you may also remember that period as the time when the popularity of condom use in America started its rise to historic heights. The condom has only been part of our mainstream for a short time, but A second look at its origin story reveals that it actually has a rather long, vast, storied past. In fact, some of the details of its history turned out to be downright surprising. They were certainly surprising to us, but they surprised Terrell more than me. I was less surprised. For this week's adventure, we went behind the music to explore the curious history of the modern condom and how in the near future, technology could change the entire world of condoms as we know it. By the way, if you're still on the fence about listening to this, now is your last chance to bail before we start saying words like penis and vagina. Okay? Okay. Let go. The first thing we should say is that today's condom is a thin, stretchy but close-fitting pouch that the humans can wear during sex to protect from pregnancy and sexually transmitted infections. Today's condoms achieve this by reducing the amount of fluid exchange and skin-to-skin contact that can occur when people do sex. These condoms are cheap, effective, and practically everywhere. We're now using them by the billions. But that was hardly the case with the condom's great, 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 great grandparents. We hinted before that 
The widespread explosion of condom use only happened during the last 100 years. But what we didn't tell you is that early versions of condoms came into play much, much earlier, which might explain why there is so much disagreement about where they originally came from and who invented them first. Evidence of early condom use has been found all over the world, including in cave paintings, but that hasn't done much to settle the debate. Some historians argue that the oldest known condom was created in the 1660s by an army doctor who basically invented the thing to protect King Charles I from fathering any unwanted children who could claim rights to his throne. Juicy. Other historians argue that the oldest known condoms actually hit the scene a bit earlier, in the 1560s, when an Italian anatomist claimed to have invented the condom as a tool to help fight the spread of syphilis. And if we sniff the timeline even more closely, we uncover other evidence that suggests that the real first condoms were used even earlier in ancient Egypt. When it comes down to it, the deeper you dig, the more accounts you'll find of people around the world taking credit for creating the first condoms. We even found debates about where the word condom comes from. Some people think it was named for that army doc who was working with King Charles I, but others have suggested it comes from the Latin word condus or the Persian word kondu, or even a play on the word conundrum as it appeared in a 1972 edition of Playboy magazine. Lots of scholars have lots of good reasons to claim their findings offer the best explanation for where condoms came from. But given all the conflicting stories, it's probably safe to just assume that the jury is still out on this particular piece of condom history. And at any rate, there are plenty of other bizarre highlights to enjoy on this adventure in the meantime. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Whatever the origin story, I am frankly surprised that condoms were around at all during these early periods in history, when the human's understanding of the facts of life was not super sophisticated. I'm listening. There are many examples in early human history where the humans have missed the mark in their medical theories about baby making and infections. In the early 11th century, for example, many physicians and philosophers of the time believed that both men and women made sperm and that the female version of sperm was breast milk. Before that, the humans were not even sure if men and women had different internal organs, or whether they both needed to be involved in making babies in the 1300s. They believed that the female uterus was divided into seven parts, matching the seven days of the week, which allowed women to give birth to up to seven babies at a time. In the 1600s, some of the humans proposed that the uterus was like a sewer, that housed different kinds of poisons that were responsible for different kinds of infections. Even Leonardo da Vinci believed that the purpose of the male pubic bone was to keep the penis from turning inside out. With ideas like these, it's a wonder that the humans ever discovered how creating a barrier for skin and fluids during sex might help reduce unplanned pregnancies and infections. 
Well, however and whenever it happened, mankind did manage to stumble upon some ways of making condom-like tools. Using features that probably seemed like good ideas at the time, but would easily seem terribly primitive by today's standards. For one thing, many of the world's oldest known condoms only covered the head of the user's penis, which left all the other parts of the penis, and anything it touched, vulnerable to fluids and skin-to-skin -skin contact. On top of that, these old condoms were also often made of all sorts of rare, expensive, or otherwise hard-to-come-by materials. And this seemed to be the case no matter when or where we looked throughout less recent history. The oldest example we found, which dates back to about 1000 BC, involved the Egyptians making their condoms out of linen, not to be outdone by the Romans who were making theirs from goat bladders. In the 1400s, the Chinese were using oiled silk paper and the Japanese were using fine leather, tortoise shells, and animal horns. Even the anatomist who supposedly made that Italian version in the 1500s made his condoms from linen that had been soaked in some unknown chemicals and then dried and tied to the user's penis with a ribbon. All of these designs seem pretty impractical, especially that business with the tortoise shells, but they were still used by the people who could manage them. And that Italian version even earned a small claim to fame when it was chosen for a research study that involved more than 1,000 people who successfully used them to help prevent the spread of syphilis. Goat bladders and all, old-timey people could probably tell they were onto something, and events like the Italian research study helped to boost the condom's popularity a bit. But still, for a time anyway, major improvements on condom design moved at a snail's pace. This was made worse by the fact that not everyone everywhere was on board with this idea of using condoms to alter the natural process of doing sex. In 1605, Catholic theologian Leonardus Lassius famously wrote the first recorded rejection of condoms, in a piece where he described condoms as immoral. Though he was one of the first in a series of many humans to share this view on condoms, his objections were not enough to stop their growing popularity, though it was still a while before the technology started to catch up with the need. Even though people were daring to use condoms in greater numbers and in the face of public naysaying, there were still basic but major problems with the way most condoms were being made. And that's because before the mid-1800s, the most common material used for making them was good old-fashioned animal skin, like pig intestines sometimes treated with sulfur or lye. Gross. The continued use of animal skins meant that condoms were just as expensive as ever. Even though in theory, 
the higher number of people wanting to buy condoms should have driven their prices way down. As a result of the high cost, people who wanted new condoms but couldn't afford them would just wash the ones they had and use them over and over again. And in some parts of the world, this even resulted in booming markets for secondhand condoms, which kind of defeats the whole purpose. We know now that using condoms more than once is a sure way to ruin their effectiveness at reducing the rates of infection. But even if these original condom users could quit reusing their condoms, they still had another very big problem to deal with. It turns out that condoms made from the skins of animals don't actually protect against infections. And this is still true today, even though some people have to use lambskins condoms because they're allergic to latex. Challenges like these were somewhat successful in slowing the condoms rise to mass popularity, but these hurdles were never tall enough to stop progress completely. And over time, the humans continued to inch towards better and better solutions until they finally ended up on the right track and began developing the prototypes that would soon after become the condom the humans know and use today. That's right. Because the scientific revolution was not lost on condom designers. They stepped up in a big way and figured out how we might do better than wash and wear animal skin condoms. One major turning point in this effort happened in the 1830s when Charles Goodyear, yes, that Goodyear, started on the path to invent the first rubber condoms. This switch from animal skins to rubber was kind of a game changer, but even then, condoms weren't yet as good as the ones we have today. One big snag at the time was the fact that each condom had to be custom fitted to the user in a process similar to how you might have a suit made, but for all the extra effort, most condoms still didn't fit very well. And the whole fitting process was too expensive for many people anyway. Later though, in the 1930s, and in true American fashion, inventors figured out how to mass produce condoms with improved strength, easier sizing options, and better production techniques, which extended the condom's shelf life from three months to five years. America. This was all made possible by the invention of the latex condom, which helped to double sales of condoms around the US. Even though at that time, the government forced condom companies to market their products as tools for disease prevention rather than letting them market the products as tools that were also effective as forms of birth control. America. The folks at the government eventually changed their minds about this, but not before the Food and Drug Administration got busy with classing the condom as a drug. And I know that may seem weird, but it worked out for the best because it meant that the condom companies had to start testing all of their products for safety and effectiveness before bringing them to market. Finally, 
In the wake of ditching the animal skins and setting up systems for quality control, the condom got a final major improvement in 1957 when the Durex company started adding lubricant to their condoms. And it was later used in the 1970s to make condoms that had spermicide inside them. All of the improvements we've talked about so far helped to drive up condom sales around the world. But widespread awareness and sales of condoms experienced their biggest boost in the U.S. after the HIV-AIDS epidemic emerged in the 1980s. Since that time, the condom market has exploded. Now, thanks to innovators around the world, including Japan and Germany, you can buy condoms on the cheap in different colors, and shapes and textures. The humans can also buy condoms in a variety of fragrances and flavors, including bacon flavored. We tried, but could not find any salad flavored condoms. Sorry. Other than meat flavors, the basic idea of the condom hasn't changed that much over the years. But the ones we have now are light years more advanced than those early goat bladder versions even if they can still suffer damage from things like Vaseline or lotion or butter or other cooking oils. Butter and cooking oils are only part of this conversation because somebody, somewhere, has already wrecked a condom by using these products during sex. All butter and cooking oils aside, right about now you may be thinking that the fascinating world of condoms is one where products are made specially for men and that certainly seems to be the case when we review the often debated history but did you know there is also such a thing as a female condom if you didn't it's probably because female condoms didn't exactly make a huge splash when they hit the market in 1993. In fact, they nearly died altogether. Hardly anyone bought them because they seemed overpriced compared to male condoms, and many women said they were too awkward to use. But despite poor sales in the early days, the female condom managed to keep a place on store shelves. And the versions that have survived to today are pretty fascinating in their own right. Female condoms are a lot like male condoms in that they usually consist of a thin pouch that stops the flow of body fluids and reduces skin-to-skin -skin contact when doing sex. The difference though is the female condom is designed to be inserted inside a user's vagina rather than covering the outside of a user's penis. Sometimes these female condoms are also called internal condoms because they can be designed for insertion into a user's anus. The first generation of female condoms was made of nitrile plastic, but as newer ones have been developed, some of them, like one called the Ready condom, can be made with latex. And they're starting to have some pretty space-age features, too. Some of these female condoms, for example, now have a sponge attached to one end to help hold the condom in place. Some of the other ones, like an Indian version called the Cupid condom, have triangle or octagon-shaped rings on the ends 
that are supposed to make them easier to use. And some of these other ones don't even look like what we'd recognize as a condom at all. One of these is a Chinese product that looks like a small, round, pill-shaped capsule. Once inside the vagina, the capsule quickly dissolves and the condom emerges and unfolds like a blooming flower. That's high-tech, even for me. Female condoms may not get that much attention in America, but they are very well-liked in parts of the world where women may not have good enough access to other kinds of personal resources for family planning and disease prevention. With this in mind, I don't doubt that there could be all sorts of clever female condoms with more science fiction-like features in the future. And the male condoms probably aren't too far behind. Based on projects that are currently in the works around the world, it seems that tomorrow's designs may actually involve condoms made from graphene and condoms that have nanotechnology in their lubricant. The graphene condoms are expected to be much, much thinner, but also much, much stronger than ordinary latex condoms. And the nanotechnology is expected to help improve the resilience of ordinary lubricants. Some of my coworkers are also helping with a project to develop invisible condoms, which will involve gels that get spread onto the penis as a liquid, but will dry into a latex-like solid with body heat. Prototypes for these invisible condom gels are designed to dissolve back into a liquid after a few hours and have shown promising results in small lab experiments where their HIV blocking abilities are being studied. Another cool project being funded by the National Institutes of Health involves a product called the Origami Condom. It's a silicone condom shaped like an accordion that was supposed to be more comfortable and more versatile than standard latex condoms. But we may be waiting a while to find out what happens with that project because work was paused after members of the research team were accused of stealing money from the project. That's too bad. So anyway, there you have it. In no time at all, we've managed to go from expensive, used animal pouches to sleek, pocket-sized, not animal pouches. But now, on average, they're more than 90% effective when used correctly, and they've helped to dramatically reduce the rates of unplanned pregnancies and infections like syphilis, HIV, and gonorrhea. And that's a really important thing for moving forward because we're already starting to see some of these infections become drug resistant. But more on that later. If you've heard this episode and would like to learn more about condoms or pregnancy or sexually transmitted infections, consider reaching out to your doctor. This week's adventure is not a substitute for medical attention or health counseling, but we hope you liked it anyway. That's all for now. Stay tuned, everybody. Please tell the other humans to listen to the podcast so I don't have to go back to my day job.
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Health Science for the rest of us. If you like what you heard, be a pal and spread the love by sharing this podcast with a friend. If you're not sure how or if your friend just needs some help, you can both get some quick tips from our fun YouTube tutorial. Just tap on the link in the show notes from this episode. To learn more about the show in general, or to see some pretty hilarious health memes and videos, stop by our website at healthscienceforeveryone.com. We're also on Facebook in the group section and on Twitter under the name Health Science Podcast. That's all one word. For a limited time, Health Science for the rest of us listeners can save 20% on all NZT products at my online store by entering the promo code DARK42 Tower Beam Sunshine Strain. No, 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 I told you we're not doing that. My apologies. www.irisspecialtystoreforthingshumansbyclairhealth.com Iris! Sorry. I'm hitting the button now. Is that how my voice sounds?